New Life Church. Thanks for listening in. We exist as a church to connect people to the heart of God and to a family within the church. And we believe that Jesus is the way. We hope this message blesses you and gives you hope today. Can we put our hands together and welcome my great friend, Ellen Hutchinson, to the stage. Table coming for Ellen. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, hey, I'm really excited to be here tonight. Uh, like Kelly said, I remember many years ago now, down the road at that theater, when we pulled our little carts out of the trailer and started plugging everything in and decided to have a campus. And it's so fun to see now where we're at. I was driving... And I was just like, this, this location is amazing. Like, I just love just the name of Jesus, like out on the street, people can read it. And it's just, I just think the Lord has been really faithful. And um, I've known Callie and Bronson for a long time. <laughs> and I can tell y'all that they just are the real deal. And I just, we just want to honor you guys and say thank you for answering the call and taking it head on. And I know that it's, y'all don't take it lightly. And so we're really thankful for you guys. Um, my kids are at my mother's overnight. My husband was working late. Uh, y'all might have to kick me out of here. I'm like, girls' night? Okay. <laughs> Guess please. So um, let's let's just pray before before we dive in. Father, we just love your presence, and we don't want to take one step without you, Lord. Um, we just ask for a favor for tonight, Lord, that we might lean in to hear the voice of our shepherd just a little clearer than before. And I thank you that your presence is always refreshing, always good, and always meets us exactly where we're at in the way that only you can. So we give you the glory for tonight, and I ask a blessing over it and these women and this church, um, and we just praise you for all you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, it was funny because I was like, I call it, you know, Kelly, what, what are you thinking for tonight? And she was like, well, we really just really want a word of refreshing. And I was like, well, it's kind of funny because I've been like feeling just kind of stalled out lately. Like, I'm just like, I feel like I'm stuck, you know? Has anybody else been feeling like I'm like in between gears a little bit? I'm just like, oh, what is it? And so this has been a good journey for me <laughs> to be like, hmm, refreshing. I think that I also would like that. Um, and so, yeah, I've just been feeling kind of stalled out, and I'm doing all the things that you're supposed to do. I'm, like, singing and reading and praying and communicating with all my people that I trust. And I'm, like, trying to drink more water and stuff, which <laughs> it's always seltzer water, so I don't know if that has the same effect. It's got sodium in it, but I'm like, there's this the only way that I'm drinking any water. Um, the other day, I was having just honestly just a really stressful day where I was just like not acing it. And Rick was like, why don't you take the night off? Which in husband speak is, you're acting insane. Why don't you just get out of here for a little while? Go to Target, spend money, I don't care. Just, just why don't you take the night off, babe? And I literally put on my tennis shoes, walked out to the street and just started running. Like Forrest Gump. I was just like, I just need to run. And I like do not run. But I was so, it was like the only thing I could do was just run. And I just like, I don't know how far I'm going to make it, but I turned my headphones as high as they went. And on Henson, I literally literally was having chest pain. I was like, I'm going to have a heart attack, but I was close to my friend's house. So I was like, the kids will probably go outside at some point. They'll see me and call 
Rick and let him know. So I understand the need for refreshing. And I just really was like seeking the Lord. Just like, God, how do we get this back? Like, what do we, what do we need? And, and, um, and, you know, this week, like Callie said, has just like, put it at another exclamation point on how badly we, we need this. And as I prayed for you, uh, I have to follow the tears. I don't, I don't cry all that much, um, except after I had kids, I started crying a lot more. I remember after my son was born, I was watching Price is Right, because that's what you do when you have a newborn. And this lady won $100,000, and I started sobbing. And I was like, She's, her life has changed. They just changed her life. Drew Carey just changed her life. And I was like sobbing. So I do cry every now and then for strange reasons. But at this point in my life, I follow the tears with the Lord. I'm like, okay, he's moving on our hearts here. And so I felt really specifically him lead me to a, a point in scripture that I'm excited to unpack. Um, and we're going to be looking in Psalms uh, 37 through 40. That sounds like, oh, we're going to be here for a while, but it won't be that long, I promise. Um, But a lot of times we read the Psalms in isolation, and that's fine, but a lot of times they're meant to be read like in groupings, and when you do that, the Lord like colors in the lines a little bit more, and that's what happens here as we read these chapters in David's life. There starts to be like a timeline here, and um, it's one that I think most of us can relate to right now, I might turn my iPad like this. Yeah, I'm going to do that. And so I've never had a, a title for a message, but I think I might tonight. And I think it would be called Phases of the Pit. Are you excited? <laughs> like, great, refreshing. <laughs> so the, starting at Psalm 37, this is really like preparation for the pit. And if you've been following Jesus for any longer than about three months, you know that we're always kind of in preparation for whatever is about to unfold. And now we all know that, the world we live in now. And in Psalm 37, you can open your Bibles. I'm going to be jumping all over the place because that's how my brain works. I'm very sorry, Michael, or whoever's running Pro Presenter. But um, we have a lot to cover. So basically, Psalm 37 starts, and it's like, a, it's like a pep talk that David is giving himself. And he does this a lot, doesn't he? And it's really interesting that if you look at it in the Hebrew, it's written in like alphabetical order, almost like an acrostic And so it's meant really to be memorized. It's like a a little tool to help them memorize this really rich chapter of Scripture. And it's all just about the truth of the Lord. And in Hebrew culture, they memorize like entire books of the Bible. I, if the lyrics go out during service, I'm like, well, everybody sing a song to the Lord. Because I'm like, I got nothing. I can't remember as a thing. That's like not, you know, maybe my times tables and even that, it's like questionable sometimes. But in the Hebrew culture, they would memorize these things. And um, it's kind of like the head knowledge. And we do know a little bit about this because they would start at a really young age. You know, like when you're in VBS and there's things that are just like in your brain, like forever you're going to be singing about Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And it's like, I don't know, it's just there forever. It's never going to go away. And so this was kind of like the goal was that if we can get this in, it'll be there when we need it. And so he was always kind of in preparation for whatever might come where he would need that. And so he's saying things to himself like, don't obsess over the world, David. Trust the Lord, David. Do good, David. Delight in him and commit your ways to him and wait on him. And we know that these things are true, and it's a lot easier to say it in the regular times. You know, if you have kids, you know this, um, I have a four-year-old, and you can't teach them something when they're in crisis. 
And I was an elementary school teacher. This is science, okay? This is like the Lord was like, your brains can't work right now. <laughs> like, like, I teach him in the calm times problem-solving skills. And so we practice. I'm like, hey, buddy, we're just chilling. Come over here. Let's put a Lego tower together. And now <gasps> what's going to happen if June, his sister, who does this constantly, comes and knocks it over? What are we going to do? And he's like, oh, let's think. You know, he's super calm. Because later that's going to happen, and he's going to have built his masterpiece, and she's going to knock it over, and he's going to lose his mind. And in those moments, you can't go, hey, buddy, let's just, what are you going to do? Can you put it back together? And he's just absolutely red face, no air, just screaming bloody murder. And so if you can get it in, in the calm times, somewhere in his brain, they go, well, hang on a second. I think I can do this. And the freak out gets a little bit shorter and a little bit shorter every time. And so this is what the preparation for the pit means. And I think some of us didn't really know like that we needed to be preparing as much as we should have all been, but we'll do our best from now on. <laughs> so in Psalm 38, though, is when the next phase comes, and this is when David enters the, his metaphorical pit. And I don't even need to list the things globally, nationally, locally, personally. I mean, everything that can be shaken is being shaken. It's like those scenes in the movie where the the main character is like in focus and everything around it is like spinning and out of focus and chaos and like the circus music is playing. And, you know, I kind of wake up with like one eye open. I'm like afraid to check my phone. I'm just like, oh my gosh, like what's the bingo card of the last few years? Like who could have known we were going to fill that square in? We're going to fill that square in. This is the craziest couple of years ever. And we can laugh about it, but it's been some of the most painful years that we've seen in a very long time. And so we can really relate to this moment where David is truly in a pit. And it's hard to see in the scripture, like maybe it was brought on by his own sin. Maybe it was circumstances. Maybe it was a little bit of both. But we know that it was bad. And in typical David fashion, he's super emotional about it. And he brings all of it to the Lord. And one minute he's wailing in physical pain. And then the next he's looking to the Lord. And then the next, he's cursing his enemies. And then he's trying to remember what he prepared for, trying to remember what he knows is true about the Lord. And this is what he lands on in chapter 38, verse 9. He says, after all of the honesty and the real pain, he comes to the conclusion, Lord, you know what I long for. You hear my every sigh, even when you feel like you're alone. He's saying, I know this is true. I know this is true. My heart beats wildly. My strength fails. I'm going blind. I mean, this is real. But he says, for I am waiting for you, O Lord. You must answer for me, O Lord, my God. Do not abandon me, O Lord. Do not stand at a distance, my God. Come quickly to help me. Lord, my Savior, he is remembering what he knows is true, which is the Lord is with him, hears him, is still his Savior, is still his Lord, even in the pit. And so the next phase after you would enter the pit is I have to address where I'm at. I'm going to be honest about it. I'm not going to be like, I'm fine. And everything's just like collapsing around you. He's like, no, I'm not fine. It's really bad. But he has a decision to make. And when you're in that pit, there comes a moment where you have to address it and you have to make a decision about it. What is your posture going to be in the pit? 
And David says, I see it all, but this is the posture that I have. Lord, you are here with me, and I can trust you, and I can ask you to move on my behalf and expect that you'll do it. And you have to have that posture because that pit will change you. And you, one way or another, you are not coming out of that pit the same. And we can look at that personally and at large as a church. One way or another, it's changing us. And then in Psalm 39 is when you start to see that. David has entered the pit. He has made a decision about what his countenance is going to be, who, where his eyes are going to be fixed on. And then it starts to change him. Because once you make that decision, you have to hold on to it because the questions are going to come in the pit. And the pain is real there. And it's dark and confusing in there. And the pit is where really hard lessons are learned. Because our impurities start to come up in the pit. Because the Lord is a refining fire. And he will bring things to light. And that hurts. But there is good news. Because the pit doesn't have to consume you. Because it's a purifying fire and not a consuming one. And so if this is you, I need you to know tonight, if this is the phase that you're in, you are not alone in that pit. There is a fourth man in the fire, and you are not alone, and the Lord will use the pit if you will let him. And he will use it to change your perspective because that pit holds wisdom that is hard fought for, and it humbles us. But there's beauty in it because you can still bear fruit in the pit. When you abide every season, you will bear fruit when you stay connected to the true vine. You can still make yourself a living sacrifice in the pit. It's kind of the best place to do it, isn't it? Because the Lord still speaks in the pit. And this is where Psalm 37 is starting to really come in handy for David. Because he prepared for this moment. And he reminded himself of what is true. Pastor Rick does a good analogy about an orange. And he's like, what's inside of an orange? Orange juice. So when you squeeze it, what comes out? Orange juice, right? And he's like, whatever is in you, when you start getting squeezed, that's what's going to come out. And so we have to prepare for that. And so David spent his life reciting the truth to himself so that when it mattered the most, he would remember it. And he had an anchor. And he had a light unto his feet and a light unto his path. Have you ever been there where it's like the next step? I could, if I could just get that next step. I bet we could go around the room and talk about pit after pit after pit where the Lord was still there. And there were times for me where I was in like the, you know, pit, man. It was bad. And then it got worse. And then it got way worse after that. And you're like, am I digging it? Is it just, there's the ground falling out underneath? Like what's going on here? But I remember it felt like really long. It was a long, long season. And there was a time, this pit was kind of the crowning moment of the pit was when my husband and I had a miscarriage at 14 weeks. And it really caught us by surprise, as you would expect. And we sat in that hospital room, y'all, after she, we delivered our daughter. And it was like my body was yelling at me, and my mind was yelling at me, and my heart was breaking. But my spirit said, Lord, you're good. And I, my eyes do not see it, but my spirit knows it's true. 
And so we have to prepare for those moments so that we can have the next phase, which is the perspective shift. Because this is the time in the pit when Christians start saying really weird things. We named our daughter Victory, which doesn't make a lot of sense to name your daughter who died Victory. Well, I don't look at the world the way that everyone else does. She's experiencing Victory long before I even really will. And so the Christians start saying things like, consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance ooh, finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. And the perspective shift comes when you really realize that that's true and possible. Because Psalm 23, David, maybe he's talking about the same time, maybe he's talking about another pit, I don't know. He talks about the valley, same thing, right? And what does the Lord do for him in the valley? He prepares a table for him in the presence of his enemies, in the pit. The Lord prepares a table. And you know, it took me a while to realize this, but I got to sit at that table. The Lord says, you're so eager to get out of this pit. I'm climbing out. I'm trying and I'm falling every time. He says, sit at the table. I have a feast for you here. Don't be so eager to leave until the Lord has used that refining fire to complete the work that it's meant to do, to truly purify you. And that's when we move to the next phase. I submit in the pit. Do you like that little rhyme? Yeah. I thought, oh, I'll write that down. When I'm at the table of the Lord, I will submit to whatever he says. And I start to get real determined. And I'm like, if I'm going to be in this pit, you better believe I'm going to get whatever there is to be gotten here. And I'm not going to climb myself out of here before I miss the treasures that the Lord has for me here. And, you know, David comes to this conclusion in, in chapter 39. He starts asking about where our hope lies. And when we, we built this house like five years ago in Greenbrier, and I was, you know, 29, and I was like, this is our dream home. And the Lord's like, don't build your dream home when you're 29, you dummy. We moved like two years later. I was like, we're going to die here. We're going to live here forever. And the Lord's like, no, you're moving in two years. You don't know it yet, but you're about to leave. But anyways, I spent all this time and all this you know, energy and money on this house. And in that house, I had unbelievable postpartum depression. We lost my father very unexpectedly. And I had a miscarriage. And those countertops did not help me. And that open concept that I demanded did nothing for me. And I started looking at all these things that I thought really meant a lot to me. And I'm going, I don't think any of this matters at all. And that kind of wisdom is worth what it takes to get it. Because I'm never going to put my hope in those things again. Because I've tested them and they failed me. And so David starts to ask the same questions. Where do I put my trust? Are we going to experience the last few years and keep putting our own trust in our understanding, in our own strength, in our own accomplishments? Are we going to keep putting our hope in the government and in man-made systems that are not made to help you? Am I going to keep putting my hope in my health, in my children's health? No, it can't hold it. It was never meant to. And the fruit that we've tasted the fruit of the world, 
And we've all been walking around like this for about three years now. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. It's rotten. And that taste is lingering in my mouth. And I'm saying, Lord, you have to bring a refreshing. I don't want that. And so David says that in uh, verse 6. We are merely moving shadows. And all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth, not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. He learned that in the pit. He's still there. But at the table of the Lord, true perspective comes. And then he thought, I think all that stuff that I've been reciting my whole life is true. I think I actually believe it. Because if you've experienced that kind of thing, oh, no one can convince me otherwise. No one can convince me that the Lord isn't faithful because I've seen it. No one can convince me that he's not my strong tower because I have resided there while he protected me from all that was happening around me. That is the truth, and he believes it. My daughter, June, loves books. It's the cutest thing in the world. She's one and a half. She grabs a book, and then she starts backing up. And it's like, you better get there because she's about to sit down because she thinks she's going to land in your lap. And you're like, whoa, whoa, because we're reading a book. And she just like, poop, plops herself down, and she hands you the book. And right now, one of her favorite books is The Hungry Little Caterpillar, which I think I could honestly memorize and act out for you right now. I won't. And it's got a lot of wisdom in it, though, because that metamorphosis that happens is super important. But then it's done inside. That book says a cocoon. It is not a cocoon. It is a chrysalis. Okay? I was an elementary school teacher. This stuff is really important. Chrysalis create butterflies. Cocoons create moths. Okay? Thank you. I don't want to be a moth. I'm getting into chrysalis. Excuse me. But in that book... In that book, he's all prepared and he's eaten and whatever. And then he gets inside his chrysalis and then the transformation happens and is finished. And then he has to come out of it to show what has been changed inside of it. And so this is my side note, pet peeve. The lessons in the pit are not meant to stay there. Sometimes we walk around that pit. I've done it. I've taken victory laps around the pit. Like I'm the mayor of the pit. I'm like, welcome to the pit. I've been here. I've got like a camp set up, like a little shelter. I'm like, I've been here for a while. Come and sit. Let me tell you about the pit. Like I'm the wise person in the pit. It makes me feel really good about myself when I'm talking to other people in the pit. I'm like, hey, come on. Let me tell you about it. But I never leave the pit. Ladies, we got to get out of the pit. I'm telling you, and some of you, I don't know what phase you're in right now. Maybe it's not time. Maybe you're still at the table of the Lord, and he's saying, not, not, not yet. But I'm telling you, as a church, which is where my focus is right now, it is time for us to emerge from the pit. The transformation has happened, and we have to get out and spread our wings and say, look at what the Lord has done in the pit, because we have a story to tell. And in Psalm 40, this is what David realizes. He has a story to tell, and I love this little tidbit. He gives it to the chief musician because it is a precious story. And he has to give it to someone he can trust. He said, look, you go to articulate this well because my story is precious now. And there's a purpose in his testimony. And if you emerge from the pit 
and your revelation leads back to yourself, it is fleeting and it will not go past you. But if the story of the pit that you're telling leads to Jesus, it will reach so much farther than just yourself. And the Lord healed you first, and that is huge, and there was a transformation that happened there, and I'm not trying to say it's not important. But it's not the way of the Lord to just stop there. To live a life where you experience healing and then keep it to yourself will only take you so far. But instead, you get to experience further healing that comes from seeing the Lord use your story. I'm looking at Ashley Paulson. You know about this. I mean, think about what the Lord has done because you've let him. Think about what your story has done. It could have stopped with you. You could have been healed and said, thank you, Lord. I'm free. But instead, you were like, I actually think there's something extra here. And I think there might be a hundredfold that I don't see yet, but I know the Lord will use. And so if you come out of your pit just quoting your therapist, it's a missed opportunity. And this is coming from someone, I quote my therapist all the time. I've been going to therapy for years. She's amazing, but she is no savior to me. A testimony of my own experience only, it's, it's empty. A testimony of my own struggle and heroism only, it's, it's foolishness. There's a better story to tell. And it is this, and David says it in verse 1, top of the, top of the chapter. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and heard my cry. And he lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. And he set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. And he has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed and they will put their trust in the Lord. Y'all, it's time as a church to emerge from the pit. And there are some pits that we like limp out of and our eyes are wide and we're like, there's like smoke, we're like putting out fires, our clothes are like tattered and we're like, what just happened? Okay, this is not that moment. There's the scary movies where they like finally get out and then the hand comes and pulls them right back down. This is not that moment for the church. This is not that moment for the church. And it's tempting to look back at the pit because the pit is loud and everybody else is in the pit. And there's, it's getting bigger by the second. Monkey pox. There's another election coming this year. I mean, are, can you, are you even ready for that? Can you even imagine how loud the pit is going to get in November? And then the year after that, and then the year after that too. Slander against the people of God. It's coming out of the pit. 11 people were killed while they were trying to grocery shop. 19 children were shot at school. The pit is loud and it's hard and it's calling your name, but we listen to the voice of our shepherd church. And he is saying, for such a time as this, church, for such a time as this, I'm not naive enough to think that there's not more pits coming. But if you think I'm going to dive head first back into the one the Lord just brought me out of, no, not a chance. Not a chance. This was a long-lasting change for David. He was never the same. 
And he learned this really valuable lesson. And in verse 6, he says this. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required. In the Hebrew, when he says, you have given me an open ear, this is referring to a decision that a free servant would make to stay, they would choose to stay in the house of their master forever. And they would voluntarily pierce their ear to the doorpost of the house to symbolize their commitment. And then they would wear an earring there as a symbol of pride for the rest of their life. And that's what David is saying. I am yours. I choose to stay here. And that is what pleases the Lord. It's not our religion. It's not our rituals. It's not going through the motion and checking the boxes. It is our full and unhindered love and obedience to him that we would emerge from this pit committed and marked forever. And that people would know it and see it because Jesus did it first. There's no pit that we're going to experience that he has not experienced deeper still when he took on death himself. And as we would say, pierce me, Lord. I'm no longer a slave to sin, but to righteousness. Committed to my father's business, he came out pierced and marked and known by his unimaginable love and commitment to the father. And so like him, we choose to make our lives a living sacrifice that we would tell our story that we would brush off the dust because we have a new perspective and a new appreciation of the kingdom of God and a new hope. And our Lord is a refining fire and he's coming back for a pure bride. And I think it's the time for the church to emerge and say, the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against your church, Lord. And we are armored up that we would come out armored up in the armor of God and we would be ready for what comes next because in the church you will find soldiers who have seen battle and can empathize and you will find soldiers who are banded together because of the battles that they have fought side by side and you will find soldiers who are not afraid to get in the trenches because we trust in our armor who is the Lord Jesus Christ himself and we jump into the pit to offer a way out I hear the pit I see the pit I know it's pain And if I'm getting in that pit, it's to tell people that there's a better way. Let's all stand up. I just feel this so strongly that there's better days ahead for the church of Jesus Christ. And that you won't find us swaying to and fro with the next and newest philosophy or teaching that tickles our ears but we are held together by the belt of the unchanging truth of God. And you won't find us boasting in our accomplishments or our works, but through our repentance, we bear the breastplate of Jesus's righteousness. And you won't find us conforming to the culture that tries to twist our arm with threats and attacks. We are strong in who we are, wearing the helmet of salvation, knowing that you have been chosen and set apart And we're the peacemakers in a world that feeds on a war and controversy. We are equipped with the sandals of peace and we bring hope of a savior and a better way. And we are shielded by our faith and the faith of our sisters. And the fiery darts of the enemy are not going to penetrate us. And we will protect and carry one another on those shields if that's what we need to do. 
And we have the only weapon we need, y'all. We have the word of God. And it works in the good times and it works in the bad times. And it works in the expected and in the unexpected. And it works on the mountaintop and it works in the pit. And it does not return void. I know that we're armored up. I know that we have a story to tell. I feel refreshed. There is a purpose in your pain and the Lord will use it and he has refined his church for what comes next. And I think we're ready for it. Let's pray. Lord, where can we go from your spirit? And where can we flee from your presence? If we go up to the heavens, you are there. And if we make our our bed in the depths, you are there. And if we rise on the wings of the dawn, or if we settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, and your right hand will hold me fast. For you created us in our inmost being, and you knit us together in our mother's wombs. We praise you because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and your works are wonderful, and we know that full well. Because we are convinced that neither life nor death, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And Father, today we say, build your church. Build your church. We are here. We are ready. We have emerged from the pit. We are committed and we are marked and we are changed forever, Lord, because we live our lives in submission to your will because you are a good father. And we trust you, Lord. You are the armor that we wear when we wake up and move into the world today and tomorrow and the next day. And I pray that you would fill us with courage, Lord to be the light that you have called us to be. We thank you for the pit. We consider it joy, Lord, that we might understand the suffering of Christ just a little bit more. And we have hope for the future, Father. Hope to dwell with you forever. Help us to not forget that this world is gonna fade away. And what is true and eternal will remain. Build your church, Jesus. Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Bronson here. I pray that this message that you just listened to helps you and assists you in your journey with Jesus. And if you want to get connected in our church, follow us on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock.